Luke 11, 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The word of the Lord. Thank you for joining us today at River Oaks. We are really, really glad to have you here on this beautiful spring morning. We are continuing our study that we've titled, We Are, the Values and Marks That Define Us. Now, you may be wondering what this study is all about, and it really goes back to last summer when a number of our elders began meeting, praying, seeking God about how is a church we could bear the most fruit that it's possible for us to bear in the coming years. We know that we're called to uh, abide by and fulfill Jesus' mandate to go into all the world and make disciples. We know we're called to do that. But we began praying, how can we as one local church best glorify God and make disciples? And that led us to clarify our mission, our values, and, and this can be seen in the middle panel of your bulletin on what we call the, uh, the vision frame. You'll also see it on the screen here. If you, if you can consider that kind of like a window frame, and as you look through the frame, the blank space is what we call our 2025 vision. And uh, the frame kind of uh, surrounds this. On the right side, you see this mission, the answer to the question, how can we best glorify God and make disciples? We think it's by building followers of Jesus who are sent to reach others. That is, that we each embrace our identity as those who know Jesus Christ and are sent by Jesus into his world with his love and with his truth to show the gospel by the way we live and to share the gospel verbally. Our discipleship pathway tells us how we grow to the point that we are disciples, followers of Jesus, being sent into the world to reach other people. 
And then to the left side of the frame, you'll see values. These are biblical values that we hope will increasingly define us as a church and as individuals during our, our spiritual growth. The final part of the frame is at the top. It's entitled Marks. And you might consider these targets for our spiritual growth, how the values are applied in our lives. And uh, in this part of the study, we're looking specifically at the Gospel of Luke, what Jesus taught us and the way Jesus exemplified these values for us that we might follow his example. We've talked about uh, missional living and biblical understanding, and what we're going to talk about this morning is devotion to praying, devotion to prayer. One of the clearest callings in Scripture is for God's people to be people of prayer. Prayer is the most basic uh, exercise of our acknowledging that God is greater than we are. It's, a, it's an expression of our faith in God who exists and of our need for him. Prayer is born out of a sense of need and an awareness that God alone is able to meet our need. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. He's the one for whom nothing is impossible. We need God and we need to pray in order to communicate with him. If there were ever anyone who I would think might not need to have prayed... I think that would have been Jesus, because Jesus was God and is God, God the Son, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus being God the Son, the Son of God. And yet, Jesus, in his years on earth, exemplified remarkable devotion to, to prayer. It's all the more extraordinary to me how much time Jesus spent alone in prayer when we consider that his earthly public ministry was only about three years. Three short years. In the Gospel of Luke, we get one of the few glimpses of what was going on during Jesus' childhood. In uh, Luke chapter 2, Verses 41 to 52, just 12 verses, we see Jesus is a 12-year-old boy. Having been taken up to Jerusalem, his parents leave and he stays behind. And he's in the temple, listening to the teachers, asking them questions, and they're amazed at the understanding of this 12-year-old boy. His parents come back and find him there and say, what were you doing? And he says to his mom and dad, didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? And the passage leaves simply by saying that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And that's it. That's our glimpse of his childhood. Next time we, we see Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, he's being baptized. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, we read, Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. Now, Luke goes on to tell us, a couple verses later, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. 
So here he is. He's 30 years old. He knows he'll be crucified when he's just 33. So he's got a short window for public ministry and a lot to do. After all these years of preparation up to the age of 30, he's ready to begin his public ministry. And what does he do? Immediately, the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness where he's alone for 40 days. Fasting. All this preparation. And then he's fasting, he's praying, he's tempted by the devil. The passage we looked at last week. He comes out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now the action will begin, right? Now's the time for teaching, feeding, casting out demons. And he does all of that. But what's extraordinary is that he takes so much time out of this short three years to continue to go apart alone with his father. And we read in Luke chapter 5, but now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Remarkable. Short time, he keeps pulling away from the field of battle and going alone to pray. In Luke chapter 6, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. In Luke chapter 9, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? In Luke chapter 9, verse 28, now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Somebody once said, it's as if Jesus in his three years just went from one place of prayer to another and did ministry in between. And so we get to Luke chapter 11, our passage for today, and we read, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. The disciples had observed something about Jesus, hadn't they? It's remarkable that they didn't say, Lord, teach us to multiply food like you did. For those thousands of people, the bread, the fish, that, that would be phenomenal. Or teach us to turn water into wine. That would be extraordinary. They don't say, Lord, teach us to raise the dead. Like that young man in the funeral procession, the son of a widow, you just made him get right up during the funeral procession. Let us know how to do that. Or when Peter got a gold coin out of the mouth of a fish, show us how to do that. They'd observe something and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he did. And we're going to look at the teaching he gave them this morning. He begins by giving them the shorter of two versions in the New Testament of what we call the Lord's Prayer. Probably it'd be better if we called it the Disciples' Prayer because it's how he taught his disciples to pray. And in this prayer, he gives them five emphases. The prayer is one we've probably recited a number of times and it's fine to recite it, but I think he gave them this prayer with a, with a greater intention, and that is for it to serve as a model for our prayers. And in this model prayer, he gave them five emphases. 
that helps you to follow the outline on the back of your bulletin. You'll see one there. But the first emphasis has to do with God's name. And he says, when you pray, say, our Father, hallowed be your name. In biblical understanding, God's name stands for all who he is. All he is. His character, his power, his majesty, his holiness, his, his great might. Jesus talked about his name, the Father's name, on a number of occasions. In John chapter 17, he's praying to the Father and he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. He goes on to pray, keep them in your name which you've given me. He ends the prayer by saying, I've made known to them your name and will continue to make it known. What did he mean by that? Was he just giving them a one-word title for God the Father? No. He was saying he revealed to them what God is like, who he is. He elsewhere said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's the sense, I believe, in which he made known his name. He was revealing God, who he is. Now, in the prayer, he says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means to regard as holy. In other words, we, this, is, this is all about praying for God's name, his person, his character to be honored. God, may your name be hallowed, honored in my life. If you're married in our marriage or home, in our church, in our nation, we begin our prayer by praying that God would be known and honored and magnified. His name would be hallowed. He moves to a second emphasis in the prayer, or a second target for prayer, and it has to do with God's kingdom. Three simple words to pray, your kingdom come. In the longer teaching given on the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus taught this prayer outline, he included these words, may your kingdom come and your will be done. God's kingdom is described by the Apostle Paul, really defined as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. God's kingdom comes where the gospel of Jesus Christ is made known, believed, and received. The kingdom of God was brought by Jesus. And when he died on the cross, and there bore the judgment for our sins, when he was crucified and shed his blood, and then when he was raised from the dead and called his followers to believe in him, what we call the gospel, this is how one enters the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. He's the entryway into the kingdom. Faith in him and what he's done. And so he's saying, pray your kingdom come. And I think by this he means, in the broadest sense, pray for the kingdom of God to come and his will to be done in my life, in my household, in my church, in my community, in our nation. We pray for the spreading of the gospel and for the kingdom of God to come, his righteousness, his peace, and his joy. Pray for his kingdom to come. The third emphasis in the prayer has to do with God's provision. And he says to pray, give us each day our daily bread. Now in biblical times, uh, bread was often made daily, 
uh, because there were no freezers or modern preservatives. But I think when Jesus uses the word bread here, he's intending it as a figure of speech to refer more broadly to that which we need, the food we need, that which we need for daily life, our daily bread. The importance of this prayer, and it should be a daily prayer for us, is the ongoing daily regular acknowledgement of God as our provider. He calls us to remember him as our provider, to ask him for what we need, whether it's physical bread or wisdom for the day, and acknowledge that he, our creator, he's the source of every good and perfect gift. Last week I saw something uh, on television. It was an interview with someone, uh, a man who'd become extremely uh, wealthy. And it was a short interview, and he was just, uh, the, the uh, cameras were showing his house and where he lived and something of, of all the wealth that he had, had gained over the years. And he was talking about himself, and he said, all this I've done. You know, essentially started with nothing. I'm so proud that I've done all this. I've had these accomplishments. I was listening to him. I thought, there's not a hint that he is crediting God for anything he's got. Does he not know that he wouldn't have his next breath if God did not allow that? Every opportunity he's had is only because God has allowed him that. Often we forget that we wouldn't have our, our next breath, our next meal, if it were not for God, our creator, and our provider, and our sustainer. Everything we have comes from him. And so Jesus reminds us daily to acknowledge that he's the one who gives us our daily bread, what we need for life. Number four, an emphasis in this prayer, and I think something we should pray about every day, is God's forgiveness. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. This prayer, this emphasis in the prayer, calls for us not only to seek our own forgiveness, but to commit to forgiving all who've wronged us. I think it's important to, to follow this emphasis in the prayer every day because it allows us to keep short accounts. Short accounts with God. We confess our sins each day but also short accounts with other people. Because we, we go through life, we're all going to be hurt, we're going to be offended, we're going to have resentment towards someone who hurts us. And we are commanded to forgive. And the sooner we do that, sincerely and genuinely, the more healthy we will be spiritually. And let me just add, for those here who are married, this is an extremely important prayer to guide your prayer time every day. I find that a lot of Christian couples never pray together unless it's praying for a meal or putting a child to bed. And if that's the only time you as a married couple ever pray together, I want to tell you, you're missing something that can tremendously benefit your marriage and bring spiritual blessing into your life. And when you use these prayer targets, these five prayer emphases we're looking at this morning in your times of prayer, they call you to, to not only forgive your sins, but forgive one another. 
it's very difficult to pray with somebody when you're holding a resentment against them. I've discovered that in prayer with my wife. It causes you to confess your sins fairly quickly if you're going to pray together. God's forgiveness. Finally, number five, God's protection. And lead us not into temptation. This is a challenging line in the prayer, and people have written about this lately, questioning uh, if it's rightly worded, but uh, all good translations that I looked looked at on this prayer, uh, render it this way, either bring us not into temptation or lead us not into temptation. What does it mean? Because it raises the question, does God ever lead us into temptation? Does God tempt us? Well, if you were here last week, we looked at Luke chapter 4, and the Bible says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Does God tempt us? There are three things I think we need to understand. They're very clear in Scripture. Whenever something's a question in reading the Bible, remember the all-important principle of interpreting Scripture with Scripture. If something's not crystal clear, you can interpret it with other Scripture that is crystal clear. And one thing's crystal clear in Scripture. James chapter 1 And verse 13 says, let no one say when being tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is not the one who creates a lusting desire for something who tempts us himself. The devil is called the the tempter. So God's not creating the temptation for us to sin. Secondly, God always provides us a way out of temptation. That's very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, verse 13, and I'll read that verse for you. It reads this way, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. With the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So there's always a way out. No one can ever say, no Christian that is, can ever say, I'm tempted to the point that it is impossible for me to do anything other than move forward into this sin. God doesn't tempt us. He provides a way out. But then thirdly, God has the power to protect us from evil and the evil one. Now, in this model prayer, as it's presented in a more full version in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, or from the evil one, who is Satan. It's simply a statement that God has the power to protect us from those snares which we will face throughout life, snares of temptation, And it's the wise person who daily prays that we be kept from those scenarios, from those uh, environments or snares of Satan by which we might be led more deeply into temptation. I think it's an important prayer to pray because we're actually expressing to God that we don't want to sin. Sometimes there's something in us that wants to be tempted. We want to be lured toward the temptation. But here we're saying, God, protect me from it. Keep me from it. Let me not be led into temptation. But deliver me from evil and the evil one. And so, Jesus, he's 
remember, he's answering their, their requests. Lord, teach us to prayer. And it gives these five emphases. God's name, his kingdom, his provision, his forgiveness, and his protection. Now he continues to teach in prayer, and he, and he gives a little parable. And it goes on to say, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet, because of his impudence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So it's teaching about prayer. And here's the setting. This, this guy, the family, he, he and his family have gone to bed for the night. In biblical times, commentators say that often a, a biblical uh, era home was just one room. You'll see a couple examples on the screen. The first, I think, is a uh, model of um, a one-room home, and it might have underneath it uh, space, if it's a two-story home, for, for animals. And so when the door is closed and the bars laid across the door, the whole family, in this case, this, this man has family, has children, they're all, all asleep. And if they're animals, they're all closed in for the night too. And now someone comes pounding on the door at midnight. And of course what happens if this person gets up to, to, to bake or, or find three loaves of bread, well the whole house is interrupted. And you'll see a couple of other examples of these biblical time uh, structures as well. Hospitality in biblical times was incredibly incredibly important. And Jesus says, even though hospitality was important in their day, even though this is a, a terrible disruption and inconvenience, because of the man's impudence, he will get up and give him what he asks. Impudence, impudence simply means his shamelessness, his boldness to come and pound on the door in the middle of the night, or as it's rendered here, his persistence. Remember, Jesus is teaching us about prayer here. And he's calling us to persistence. That is boldness or impudence in prayer. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, that is his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And remember, Jesus is teaching about prayer now. And I tell you, he says to us, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. He's teaching us to keep pounding on the door in prayer. He's teaching us to persist in prayer. Because perseverance and persistence in prayer is an expression of our faith. Jesus taught that elsewhere in the Gospel of Luke. Now, if you're like me, that raises a question. What about unanswered prayer? 
What about things we prayed for a long time? And we don't get the answer we prayed for. We have a real life example staring us in the face this very week here in our church. And it has to do with our prayers for a, a pastor who's part of our small EPC presbytery here. He's from Montreat, North Carolina, and his name is Andrew Brunson. Andrew and Noreen Brunson raised their children in Turkey. And uh, I think 23 years, their family been there. He had a little church and a, and a ministry and just very, very faithful, pastor-loving, spirit-filled, guided uh, man, minister of the gospel. And if you've read the articles and, and some that were even sent out by our church office, you know that about uh, 18 months ago he was in, imprisoned. But this past Monday was to be his trial. Uh, one of our North Carolina senators, Tom Tillis, was actually there and in the courtroom. And, um, you know, all levels of government have tried to get this man released. So last Sunday was called for a day of prayer and even fasting. And uh, I talked to someone early in the week who had, who had fasted on Sunday and said, I absolutely was certain. I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that in that courtroom, he would be released. And he was not released. He did not get out. In fact, the first thing that was done, he was put into a worse prison. He's now been moved back to the prison where he was before. So what do we do about that? What do we make of that? Anybody here who has prayed for any length of time knows that you, you face things like this. The simplest, most honest answer I can give to that is, I don't know. I don't know why. It helps me to know, looking at all of Scripture, that God in His sovereign wisdom and authority rules over things and knows things we don't know. In fact, a, a, a quotation that I have found um, helpful is one by Pastor Tim Keller in his really excellent book on prayer. He says, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. And we don't know everything he knows. I don't know why some prayers are not answered. But I know this. I know God is very pleased prayer. And he calls us to devotion to prayer. He calls us to follow the example and the model of Jesus. And he calls us to persevere in praying. Unless we're praying for something that we know not to be his will. Because we are called to pray in as much as we know his will according to his will. God is pleased with our perseverance in prayer. But in line with the five emphases that Jesus is teaching, I think we're to persevere always with the attitude, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
So Jesus is teaching about prayer, the remarkable value of persistence in prayer. And now he's going to close with an emphasis that is incredibly important. And I, I urge us to grasp this today. Because as he's talking about persisting in prayer, he focuses on a specific request. Jesus calls us to pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'll read again the final verses. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And then Jesus says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Of course, no decent father would do that. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Of course, no decent father would do that. If you then, who are evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, comes into the life of every person who's embracing the saving work of Jesus in the Gospel. And yet, as Christians, we are called to continually be filled with the Spirit. I think the, the teaching on prayer Jesus gives for his disciples here ends with this point. Because above all things, we are to persist in seeking the fullness of the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we walk throughout life. His presence. His power. The Apostle Paul gives the command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think this means be yielded to Him. As we walk throughout life each day, we're to desire His presence and His power. And we should pray this for our church, that we'll have an increasing, a growing awareness of the presence and power of God in our midst when we come together in our services. I think it's important that Jesus ends his teaching on prayer with this statement about desiring the work of the Spirit, his gifts, his grace, his power, because the Holy Spirit is the one who makes us people of prayer. You cannot be devoted to prayer without the work, the dynamic work and control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the desire to pray. The Apostle Paul said, we don't know how, how to pray as we ought. But the Holy Spirit, he is the one who helps us. And with this emphasis, Jesus wraps up this remarkably uh, simple but important teaching on prayer to his disciples who said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, as we close this morning, I want to share with you five things, just simple, practical things that I think might help us in growing in our devotion to prayer. How can we grow in our devotion to prayer? The first one's real simple. Pray as you read the Bible. A lot of times we read our Bibles, we just want to get through a couple of chapters and check it off the list. What I mean by this is when you're reading John chapter 15, 
And Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He talks about abiding in him and bearing much fruit. You read those verses and you say, Lord, help me to be one who abides in you. Help me as I go throughout the day to bear much fruit for you. Pray what you read. I think sometimes it would be better to read less and pray more about what we read. Secondly, keep a prayer list or journal. When I, I have certain times during the week when I'm, I'm praying, and, and I know if I go into those times of prayer with no intention, with no clear picture of what I'm going to pray about, no model for prayer or no list, my mind will be wandering in one minute. I have to have some target, something to guide me, a list of people, a list of members of the church to go through and pray for their spiritual growth, pray about their needs. Some people like to keep a prayer journal, answered prayers uh, that you go back and enter. Number three, pray the prayers of the Bible. References you see on the screen are prayers the Apostle Paul prayed for the early church. In our contemporary prayer culture, I would estimate that 75% of prayer requests that are shared have to do with physical health-related needs. That is not bad. The Bible tells us, pray one for another that you may be healed. We should share those needs. God cares about them. Uh, we care about one another. That's something we should do. However, when I look at the New Testament, the weight of the prayers being prayed the weight of emphasis in those prayers is for the spiritual growth of God's people. And as you look at the prayers on the screen, they're all about spiritual growth, being filled with the knowledge of God's will, increasingly walking in his love, having eyes to see and ears to hear. Pray those prayers for yourself, your family, your friends. Pray as you walk into work or church. Maybe you've got a 30-second walk into work tomorrow. Uh, maybe you've got a, a five-minute walk. Maybe you're retired and you're going to be walking around on a golf course all day. Whatever it is, praise you walk in. Lord, help me today to do my work in a way that glorifies you. Give me opportunities to be a good witness for you today. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment in the decisions I'm going to make today. What about coming into church? Some of you had a 30-second walk. Some of you, like David Holcomb, who parks at West Forsyth, walks over, has about a five-minute walk every day. What if every Sunday, every one of us here, walking into this building, we're praying like this, God, prepare me to worship you today in spirit and in truth. Open my heart to what you want to teach me and show me. Lord, Put me in the path of any person who has a great need today so I can speak a word of encouragement or, or even offer to pray for them this morning. Use me. And Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit in your church today. Let us have your power in the sanctuary, in Kids Rock, in Noah's Ark. What if we all did that, every one of us, every Sunday? What difference might it make? And then finally, pray with others. Have, have some time in, in, a, in a typical month where you're praying with other people. Jesus calls us to do that. The Bible calls us to it. We see that pattern. 
if you say, I'm not comfortable praying out loud, the best way to learn to pray is being in a small group of people where some of the others are more comfortable with prayer than you are. You'll listen to them. You'll engage in prayer. It's the best way I know to learn how to become more comfortable in prayer. Every Monday in the prayer room, we pray from 12 to 1. You can always come join us there. But find some times in your life, whether you're, you're a small group you're part of now, uh, another group of friends, where you're spending some time together in prayer. May God help us to increasingly become people who are devoted to praying. Would you join me now as we pray? Father, we thank you for your presence. And Lord, we have to say like the Apostle Paul did, I don't know how to pray as I ought. But Lord, you've given us the Holy Spirit. And you said the Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our helper. You said your spirit would dwell within us and make our body your temple. Teach us to pray, Lord. Teach us to pray. Make us individuals and make us a church devoted to prayer. Father, if there's anyone here today who does not yet know you as Savior and Lord, burn into their hearts the truth of the message of the gospel of Jesus and draw them to yourself. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.